Welcome to the Documenting Climate Change podcast. My name is Chris King, I'm a documentary storyteller, and in this series of podcasts I'm speaking to people who are actively documenting the issue of climate change in any format and on any level, whether it's the causes, the impacts, or the mitigation or adaption efforts. Hi everyone, I hope you're all staying healthy and well, and thank you for downloading this latest episode of the podcast. This is the second part of a two-part interview with Sean Gallagher, so if you've not listened to the previous episode, I recommend you do so first. That way you can learn about Sean's journey and his experience in documenting the issue of climate change. For those who have listened to it already, I hope you've enjoyed the interview so far, and as you all know and appreciate, Sean has a wealth of experience when it comes to documenting the issue of climate change, and he will be sharing plenty more of it with us now. I won't go on my usual rant and instead leave you to start where you left off. So enjoy. What are the most challenging things that you, you've seen that have, have unsettled you, that have really impacted you deeply on an emotional level? I would say probably the work that I mentioned before in India, that was a, that was a, a very difficult project i was exploring those personal stories about how people were being affected by pollution and and you know i was meeting a lot of people whose whose health had been affected who'd had loved ones who died as a result of pollution and you know i was meeting people photographing people interviewing people and a lot of those times it was you know very emotionally charged as people were talking about loved ones and family members who'd been affected by pollution so you know doing that day after day for it was weeks that that trip was uh, just over a month it was it that one was pretty tough I mean you know I I choose to put myself in that type of situation or to work on that type of story so I knew that it might be difficult but you know on, on a personal level it's difficult when you you're asking people to share their lives with you, to share their stories with you, their personal stories, their feelings, their emotions. And, you know, sometimes it can, it can, you know, bring up very deep feelings in in people because most people I meet, you know, really want to share their stories with me. I try to make sure that they know that, you know, I'm genuine. I'm really concerned about the issues that they're facing. I'm not just doing it from a voyeuristic perspective. I'm invested in these in trying to cover these type of issues uh in asia and so i try to communicate that just on a personal level and when people reveal their stories to you it 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 can be quite difficult i mean one says it is part of the job but on the other hand you are you are a person as well and so it can can take its toll i mean not every story is like that but that one in particular was was pretty tough but then you also have stories like I I just came back from um, Cambodia where I was working on a a new story about or is looking at the challenges that Cambodia's forests are facing Um, so Cambodia has really suffered from deforestation very very badly over the past 10-20 years so like a lot of places in the tropics they're seeing really incredibly fast disappearance of of many of their forests there so I went there to to have a look at that issue and and try to see if it was a you know a visually 
interesting story and it was you know it was really much worse than than i expected um they're they're just seeing this blanket disappearance of a lot of their forests uh, a lot of them are being burnt burnt out so a lot of those kind of images that you might have seen coming out from out from places like brazil and the forest fires in australia um late last year early this year i mean those kind of scenes are happening in cambodia as well and it's it's really a story that hasn't been reported at all and that was really the first one of the first times that i'd seen such you know really incredible destruction uh through both the deforestation but also through the fires as well and so you know when you when you witness something like that i mean yes i'm there as a professional to to photograph the issue to to film a story to communicate that but you know from time to time i found myself just standing there just looking out at some of those landscapes and i might be with some of the conservationists who i was like shadowing and we just stand there in silence and just look at the landscape and you get a lump in your throat it was so devastating the what you were seeing and so what what do you do to kind of deal with with that impact on you emotionally but then also staying positive about um the unfolding climate crisis and and our ability to to engage with it i mean i don't know what keeps me positive to be honest (laughs) (laughs) i I think i'm a i'm a very naturally positive person which i think really helps in this line of work um but it 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 is very difficult to to stay positive especially when i put myself in all those situations where i'm seeing the worst of the worst impacts that we're having on the planet. I just think it's so important to make sure that we have some kind of visual record of what's happening. The thing I, I suppose that I'm most encouraged about now is that I've seen a really big change over the past 15 years. You know, when I started covering a lot of these issues uh, in Asia back in 2005, 2006, you know, covering an issue like desertification or talking about climate change, those type of stories really weren't being uh, talked about very much in the mainstream media. But now, uh, especially in the past few years, climate change is, is everywhere in the news. Now, you know, I don't think enough action is being taken. I don't, still don't think there's enough of that news. I think there still needs to be more. And I think that's one of the most positive things is that change in, in recent years and this kind of awakening of awareness about climate change, about the fact that it's real, about the fact that it's affecting us now, that it's not this crisis that's going to affect uh, people in 50 or 100 years, although it will, but it is actually happening now. It's it's not always easy to stay positive, but no, I'm sure no, you know that as well. Yeah, The issue has been documented for decades you know decades and we've been aware of it for decades what do you think we can do to improve the way that we document the issue visually and and then better engage people and tap into this increased awareness increased consciousness and and increased desire for taking action and um, affecting policy what what do you think we can do as as visual storytellers and, and documentary storytellers as a whole well it's up to each storyteller to find their own way in which they communicate their stories. My role, I see, is about trying to 
use photography and filmmaking to tell personal stories. I think that's really important and that's been key to my approach over the years is to not let people's minds wander to away to the big abstract issue which is easy to ignore and sweep under the carpet and forget about. But if you give someone a really strong personal story from anywhere in the world it could be in the UK it could be you know here in in China but if you present a story in an emotional and engaging way that story is going to sit with somebody else in a much more meaningful way than if you just presented some generic uh images say of uh, of pollution so i would encourage other storytellers to take that approach to find that personal approach to find those individual stories that can really help connect people to this this bigger issue. I personally don't see myself as a like an environmental activist. I you know I do cover environmental issues. That's the majority of what I cover. But I don't petition politicians with my images. I don't take that kind of approach to my work. Perhaps it might be something I do in the future, but at the moment I don't take that approach however you have started to see other people take that approach which can be effective you know is your goal to change the mind of a million people for example on one particular issue is that enough or are you trying to change the mind of one particular person in power who can make a decision that might impact the issue that you're working on there are you know different approaches that you can have in terms of what impact that you might want to to have with your your work. And so why have you chosen your way um, and instead of maybe say using it as a form of activism or targeting politicians or why why did you choose your way over um, a different way? I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say <laughs> why really. I mean, I've always just tried to you know just follow the stories that I I really want to cover and that I feel are right at that time in my my life to cover that particular story. And I I try to look at my work in, in trying to be part of the narrative. I mean, I often get asked the question about what impact has your work had? You know, what change has your work had? And sometimes it's very difficult to to quantify that. Uh, and I think it's very, it would be very easy to get quite hung up on that, about whether you're changing enough minds, whether you're having enough impact. But for me, I'm, I'm quite happy that my work has been part of that that transition that we've seen over the past 15 years. That That satisfies me professionally. On, on one level as well. I also do a lot of um, talking and, and speaking events at schools and universities uh, with my work. That's actually what I've done a lot of with the Pulitzer Center, who I, I mentioned earlier. Part of their program has been to get journalists into classrooms to talk to young learners about environmental issues, about journalism. And so we've done um, lots of projects where I've gone over to the US, for example, and I go into classrooms, present my work, talk about my stories with young learners and, and discuss 
these issues with young learners. And that's been a really rewarding part of my my work. And so whether you call that activism or not, I don't know. But it, for me, it's a really enjoyable way that I can both share my stories, but also share them in a way that I know that they are having an impact on on people. So can you maybe just ex- uh, share the most memorable moment from the work that you have done, um, either from a, an individual project or, or from the past you know, 15 years of documenting um, the issues? Yeah, just immediately, uh, probably because I was discussing the um, story from India uh, about the, the pollution in India. It was the, that one story looking at the leather pollution um, in the town of Kampar and I'd found that one of the characters that I was, I was talking about and it was it was an interview it's probably the the strongest or the I don't want to say the best because it was a very difficult interview but it was a gentleman it was a local he was a local politician in that town and his um, his wife had passed away because of um, complications from asthma uh, and air pollution is a really big problem in that town because of all the factories that are producing all this leather and I'd spent some time with this man and I did I was interviewing him and I he was quite a a big burly guy quite um quite a big personality and we'd spent some time with him and I arranged one day to sit down with him and interview him and so we went into his living room and I set up the interview and we started talking and as we were talking, he actually brought up the topic of his wife who had passed away and I didn't know about that. And as I was interviewing him, he he just started to break down in front of me as I was as as we were talking. And that was the first time that that had happened to me. It was a very, you know, it's it just a moment that will last with me forever because immediately then... I realized that this wasn't just some kind of big abstract issue of pollution. I mean, this was this was an, an issue that was really affecting people, that was really changing and destroying people's lives. And and this man had just revealed himself and just opened up his 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 heart to me in front of the camera. And it was a really central part. It's really the the emotional climax of the film. And whenever I show that film uh, to people, and I've shown it in classrooms and I've shown it in um, some festivals, you know, at that moment when he breaks down in front of the camera, I often look at the audience who are watching it and it doesn't matter whether it's school kids in America or it's, uh, you know, a group of scientists here in Asia Everyone has a lump in their throats. Sometimes you see people wiping away tears. It's hard to put into words as a, you know, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. I knew I'd done it. I knew I got the story. I knew I'd got people to care about what was happening to that man in that community. And I, I suppose, you know, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about was why you transitions over to film, you know, moving image. And, you know, this this being the most memorable moment that you've described was wouldn't have been communicated in a stills image. It required 
it being being filmed so i think that in itself communicates the strength and the 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 vital nature of of the moving image as well that stills imagery especially around human centric stories aren't going to be enough in terms of trying to communicate the sense of urgency and and the emotional nature of it there is that need to kind of uh, call on the moving image and, and to capture the emotions uh, you know in a more um i suppose impactful way but it's just it's just that difference that contrast between the stills imagery a single moment and then um a stream of moments that collectively just uh communicate so much more depth than a single image can ever do yeah it's just it's just a different form of storytelling i don't know if one is more impactful than the other you know i maybe i'm biased because i came from being a photographer first and to be honest photography is still my first love although i do love shooting video and film as well but but i I, they're just different ways of telling the story and some stories do lend themselves better to uh to film and some stories do lend themselves better to to photography so it's about really putting the story first instead of what you want to maybe do aesthetically just to give an example then if if you were faced with a situation under what circumstances uh, would you choose stills over video or vice versa? I don't know. It's really hard to say. Often you can't say beforehand. Sometimes it really depends on on the, the project. Uh, another film that I worked on a couple of years ago was looking at uh, bird poaching in China. China has a, a really bad problem with uh, birds being caught in nets during the spring and autumn. And um, they're sold into the pet trade and they're also um, sold into into markets as well. And I found a story about one young Chinese conservationist, a, a, a young guy who lives here in Beijing. And he would go out on his own trying to intercept the poachers and he'd make citizens arrests and he'd chase the poachers through the, the forests and mountains here in Beijing. And I read about this story and I just thought, okay, how can I best tell this story? So I try to really imagine in my mind the final piece. So I try to imagine the publication before I'd even begin shooting the story. And I just try to imagine what would be the most impactful. And for me, for that particular story, I imagined him, I imagined following him, chasing through these bushes, running after poachers, fighting with them, dragging them off to the police, these type of things. So I thought, well, which is going to be the most engaging way to capture that? And for me, immediately, it was a it was a film because those sequences that I could potentially capture would be really engaging and, and really interesting in my mind's eye. And yes, I could capture the same things in photographs, but I think, again, because those would be quite emotionally charged moments, I thought that film would be the best approach for that particular project. And, and for somebody who's wanting to start out um, a new project on, a, on the issue of climate change with zero funding, so self-financing it, and they don't have the legacy, you know, the... Um, uh, you know, they don't have the awards or the professional network. They don't have that foundation upon which to um, really immerse themselves and, and know that 
there's going to be something at the end of it. Um, what uh, what would you recommend they do? Well, I know what to do because that was me <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, don't worry about, you know, jumping on a plane halfway. Not that you can jump on a plane now. Um, but don't worry about traveling halfway around the world to work on a story. I mean, you can work if we're look, looking at the issue of climate change for example you know look local you don't have to travel far at all to see the local impacts of an issue like climate change so if i was in the uk for example just starting out then i'd be working on climate change related stories in the uk uh, at, when i started out i i was interested in those type of issues but I couldn't really see them for myself immediately in the UK. I had these images of uh, deserts in, in China that were, were taking up my, my thoughts. So that's why I decided to, to go away. But now, for example, in, in the area where I grew up in the northwest, just outside of Manchester, um, we're seeing things like these regular floods, uh, which are happening with uh, more frequency. So that would be the type of issue that I, if I was starting out right now, I would have jumped on that issue and started creating work surrounding that type of local subject, but again, connecting it to a, a bigger uh, story. So I'd say to, to look local, to, yes, have in mind these big issues, these big, um, broader issues in your mind, but to look for personal stories really close to home so you don't have to invest any serious amount of money in covering them and just pick a community find individuals who you connect with invest some time into that story uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself but produce work that you're proud of and then once you've done that then start to approach publications if you have a portfolio that you've built up then you can confidently go to um, whether it's regional or national publications first, you can approach and then build on it from there. It's all about taking those small steps. Don't tr immediately try and rush into building a big career. Just start local and start with small stories. But do most importantly, start with stories that you really care about. Don't just jump on the the news bandwagon of what you think people will be interested in. Find stories that you really care about and is there anybody on the scene um photographic or filmmaker or both who's inspiring you at the minute who's really caught your eye and, and who you always look to for inspiration or or just to check out what they're doing filmmaking i'm a, I'm a huge fan of Werner herzog who i'm sure you know uh he's obviously been around for so long his his work really inspires me for filmmaking um, I really got into his work a few years ago and started to watch his movies and, and look at the way that he approached storytelling, uh, especially his documentaries, his experimental approach, his ways that he would interview people, the ways that he would uh, approach his form of storytelling. That was uh, really inspiring for me. And in terms of photographers, who, who kind of inspires you? around climate change or you know, environmental issues? You know, you have people like uh, 
George Steinmetz, who's the photographer who does a lot of the aerial work. He used to do it on one of the, um, I forget the name of the, the like a paraglider. He used to fly around photographing aerial scenes of um, environmental issues around the world. He's just working on a new book, I think. So he's he's quite a quite an inspiration. Um, photographers like uh, Ed Cashy, who's with Seven seven photo agency he does a lot of um environmental photography uh, he's a contributor to the instagram feed everyday climate change which I, I don't know if you're aware of you might have seen it already that was set up by a chap called james whitlow delano who's uh based in japan actually not too far from from me and um so that's a collection of photojournalists around the world who are working on climate change issues. And so on that feed, they've got a really good following of over 100,000 people at the moment. And the photographers are sharing stories from all over the world. Um, so if any of your listeners are interested in seeing some inspirational photography, that's a really great feed uh, to follow. And as a plug, I should also mention that I, I run the feed Everyday Extinction which is, again, in the same vein, using photography to help communicate, communicate issues surrounding the biodiversity extinction crisis. So we've got around 35 both photographers, photojournalists, conservationists, some scientists, all sharing really high quality uh, imagery. We've got some of the best photojournalists in the world contributing to that, uh, sharing stories about the causes effects and solutions to the biodiversity extinction crisis so you know those two communities are are quite inspiring for me on a daily level and you know you can get that daily inspiration through instagram obviously brilliant okay thank you very much and, and where can people find out uh, more about you and and your work uh well i'm on social media my website is uh gallagher-photo.com and then from there, you can find me mostly on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Sean underscore Gallagher underscore photo. Uh, and yeah, I'm updating most days on there. Thanks for listening to the Documenting Climate Change podcast. The show notes for this episode with links to all the people and organizations mentioned can be found on the Documenting Climate Change website visit documentingclimatechange.org and navigate to the podcast section of the site. While you're there, if you sign up to the weekly newsletter, you'll be kept up to date with the latest releases, articles, advice on how better to communicate on the issue of climate change, as well as featured work. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast via whichever app you use, and please share this episode with everyone you know, and help more people see it by leaving a rating and review. Once again, if you're documenting the issue of climate change in any way and in any format and would like to have your work featured on Instagram, the weekly newsletter, or featured on this podcast, then please get in touch with me via email at chris at documentingclimatechange.org. Thanks again, and until next time, take care.